0: Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life.
1: Baseball, LGBTQ plus pride, a troop of men grotesquely dressed in nuns' habits receiving honors for their so called charity work, and other men dressed in women's jerseys receiving top prizes in women's competition. Then throw into the middle of all of this Father's Day. These are the marks of the month of June. How did we get into this madness, and where do we go from here? Two authors and fellows at the Ethics and Public Policy Center offer their insights here on Register Radio. We're joined by Kerry Grass and Noelle Mering. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, your host on Register Radio. On Friday, June 16th, The Feast of the Sacred Heart, the Los Angeles Dodgers, hosted the so-called Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence for what the Dodgers called charity work to those who identify as LGBTQ+. And the U.S. bishops asked Catholics to pray for this occasion, just to pray for conversion of heart, to entrust our country uh, to the Sacred Heart. Some boycotted, some protested. um, But really, you know, we asked the question, what should we do in moments like these? And today... I think our guest, Carrie Grass, uh, uh, gives us some good examples, um, some good insights into how we got here. Carrie has a PhD in philosophy. She's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and a scholar at the Institute for H- Human Ecology at the Catholic University of America. Uh, she's the online editor, or she's the editor of an online magazine called Theology of Home and its book series as well with uh, Noel Mering. And she's written several books. Her most recent is The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. And I'm very pleased to have uh, Carrie join us today. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to be here. So your latest column um, just struck me as a really uh, an appropriate response to this m- madness, this moment <laughs> we're in, and June is always that mad month, you know. Um, yeah. Where pride um, uh, uh, so called gay pride is is just everywhere you look uh, your your a column that you wrote recently for the register was called lgbtq plus may seem new, but it grew from an old ideology and uh, and that 's really intriguing because we didn 't just get <laughs> to this crazy month um, overnight um, yeah and i yeah. I think you recognize that really well so where do we start?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I think this is a, a huge question that people have been asking and a lot of, um, a lot of us feel like this is new, you know, it just came out of nowhere. Um, um, and, and yet it's really a, an outgrowth of early feminism. Um, this was one of the fascinating things about researching my book. I, I didn't know what I would find in early feminism. I sort of thought there would be a lot of nice platitudes about womanhood and whatnot. And, um, I, I discovered something so much more sinister and, um, the first issue is really that the question of um, that was the, the presumption of early feminism, which is how do we make women more like men? And um, you know, I think we've had about 200 years for this question to really unfold itself. And this is why we're seeing this attack on womanhood. This is why women can't define what it means to be woman. And really, that the the pinnacle is this um, I, you know this transforming that we're seeing happen with girls' bodies. Um, you know, top surgeries and testosterone and this promise that uh, women can actually be men. Um, so it's an amazing juxtaposition to sort of see how this has developed and yet um, it, it's, it's you know, it's spread out. It's not obviously just happening to women. We, men are trans, are having transforming surgeries as well. Um, so it's it's a real um, problem, but I, again it comes goes back to these very early roots of, of feminism that also was really focused on free love and the occult and just transforming society. So uh, it it shouldn't really surprise us that this is the, you know, it's gotten to this point that we're at today.
1: Right. And you, you said, you mentioned just how difficult it is sometimes today to define what it is to be a woman. And and it is a reality that young women right now are the ones affected the most. And, Mm -hmm. and you can see, I mean, teenage years, um, uh, hmm. or preteen years are always awkward <laughs> um mm-hmm. for men and women for for boys and girls um but today you see young women n- not even knowing how to be feminine um yeah. because it's you know this the the idea of being woke is to be kind of above all that <laughs> um mm-hmm. to be above femininity or masculinity um and there's confusion, and and sometimes the community that accepts them the most is the wokest, <laughs> you know, yeah. community, it seems. Um, right. How, how did this come from that mm-hmm. early feminism, which yeah. seemed to simply want to provide, in a way, opportunity, a, a mm-hmm. seat at the table?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the, the sense that most people have of what feminism has done, and yet, if you look at what it's really done is it's it's taken away this idea of womanhood um this was very the, the activists of the 60s and 70s were very outspoken about this and saw that lesbianism was actually they believed that it was the highest form of um human behavior and um you know that, that there's something wrong with heterosexual relationships because of the fact that they you know involved having children um, so we haven't actually said anything good about being a woman for about 50 years because this has been the push. Um, you know, we certainly haven't been promoting motherhood. And so this is why there is all this confusion. You know, it's not a wonder that, that young girls would not want to become a woman when there's nothing in the culture that's telling them it's it's a good thing. Um, you know, at the same time, we also have this fascinating um, emergence of really the pet culture, I think, in our society that's sort of picking up where motherhood you know, women have this deep desire to mother others. And, um, you know, we're seeing as people having fewer and fewer children, we're just taking on this new role as, you know, having fur babies or, you know, pet mamas or whatever they're being called. Um, and, you know, one of the statistics I stumbled upon is that we spend $700 million Whoa. on pet costumes, pet costumes um, at Halloween um, in, our, in our culture, in our country. Um, so I think that there's, there's really this gaping hole of, you know, this desire for motherhood. And, I, you know, we see that among the young, too, who haven't been properly mothered um, because we just didn't think it was important as a culture where we were told there was something wrong with it. Um, so that, that what they're finding online is the kind of support and mothering that, that they're longing for, some of the attention and the, that unconditional love that that's what, you know, mothers have, have always brought to the table Um, And I've been told not to. So, yeah, it's incredibly tragic to see how twisted so much of this has become. And the answers are really so simple. We've just made them very complicated.
1: How do we work ourselves out of this? I mean, your your book offers insights into early feminism. It's probably going to irritate mm-hmm. a lot of people because even some of the mm-hmm. champions um, yeah. are are caught up in it. Um, yeah. Maybe inadvertently, yeah. but I have to read because right. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah. where do we go, Carrie? I mean, it's yeah. y- you have young kids. Yeah. I do too. Um, mm-hmm. And we wish for a better future for them.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's the, the remarkable thing is, we just have to start looking at what, again, what my book does is it goes into these issues and helps us understand them instead of perpetuating the con- perpetuating the confusion I think about about womanhood, um, and I think we have to get back to that notion of what womanhood is, um, and the church is is so well poised to do this because we have these amazing models in our saints, we have it you know built into the fabric of the Church, um, the, the ideas of virginity and of motherhood um, are really, really important, and I, I think when we strip those out, which is exactly what was targeted in the 60s, 70s, and 80s um, by radical feminism, that's when we really start seeing these problems. So we've got at our fingertips all of all of the answers. Um, it's just a matter of really starting to, to recognize them again and to really point out just the beauty of of motherhood, um, and we can see the beauty uh, in religious sisters. I mean, it's a no accident that religious sisters are being targeted right. just this week by the Dodgers. This is all very intentional, um, to sort of take away and and degrade these things that are so beautiful and so vital for a thriving civilization and culture. Um, so I think that this, you know, it's just a matter of getting back to the basics and not complicating, you know, what has been a part of the, our tradition for. For well over two thousand years, um, in terms of womanhood,
1: Carrie, I can't help but now, you know, as you say that, ask about theology of home. You know, this mm-hmm. is just a wonderful yeah. community. I think that you um, and Noel have have brought to women online, uh, Catholic women, um, and others. Why is that so important for this moment um, as a yeah. as a response?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's. Um, really vitally important, partially when I was researching my book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, it occurred to me the way the culture has been destroyed, and it's through modeling uh, that we see, uh, the modeling of womanhood that we see in things like magazines and um, politics and Hollywood. Um, We get over and over uh, told in very nonverbal ways how it is that we ought to act as women. And I thought, why are we not doing that, uh, you know, as Catholics? Why are we not helping women have an idea of what it looks like to be a real woman, to be a mother, um, and to take want to take care of others, you know, why are we not doing this to spread our own messaging instead of just, you know, it's, I can all day long talk about the problems and, and where they've come from, but if I'm not providing a, a way out of that, then, you know, there's something missing, and that's really what Theology of Home, I think, is offering, is kind of that opposite side of the coin of, hey, okay, here's, you know, I can put out the, the problems on one side, but I want to put out a solution simultaneously and let people know this is what it looks like to be a healthy, happy, ordered mother and family. And you know obviously things are never going to be perfect. Um, but this is it, it can look a lot better and and be a lot healthier than what is being portrayed in the culture right now. And I think that's the amazing thing is we have the best you know we have the answers to the desires of the hearts of women. Um, and I for some reason, I feel like we've been afraid to tell women that even though all the statistics tell us that we know, women are not happy. We know that they are longing for more in their life. We know they want long-term committed relationships. We know they want children. Um, and so what we're doing is trying to offer a very, you know, beautiful and visual model of what that looks like And, and instead of just, you know, giving the culture away entirely um, to these really awful and destructive models.
1: Right, so I'm going to point our our listeners to theologyofhome.com, and it's it's just a wonderful place, as as Carrie says, it invites you in, um, into uh, something very different, um, but very much a home, and I I think that women um really long for that. They long to give themselves in caring, but they also long to make a home for others. Um, and mm-hmm. it's very, very present in this website. Uh, Carrie, I also want to invite people um, to read your book. So where can they find it?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's available for pre-order right now on all the usual places. Uh, if people want a signed copy, they can get one through uh, theologyofhome.com. I'm, we've got them for pre-order, and I'll, I'm signing them, or they can be personalized to people if, if um, that's what people want the author's signature. Um, So, yeah, it comes out August 15th, and um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it's received. It's my first thoroughly secular book, but, um, you know, of course, so many of the principles are really driven by um, Catholic theology and philosophy. And, um, yeah, it's just going to be really interesting to
1: see how it all unfolds. Well, we can pray for for that success um, so that the truth be told and received and, and that we may... Uh, start a a quiet peaceful revolution of heart (laughs) Um, but but i just want to repeat the name of it it is end of woman how smashing the patriarchy has destroyed us and i also want to point uh to carrie grass's article at ncregister.com. lgbtq plus may seem new but it grew from an old ideology carrie thank you so much for being with us today thanks so much for having me on When we come back, we turn to Father's Day and hear Register columnist Noelle Mehring on The Indispensability of Fathers. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more.
0: If you need your news on the go, read The Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try The Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN.
1: Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and I want to say happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. With Father's Day this weekend, we have the opportunity not only to love on our dads, but really to reflect on the crucial role that fatherhood inevitably plays in our lives and For that reason, I have invited Noelle Mehring to the show. She is a a dynamic duo with uh, Carrie Grass, who we just heard from, um, at theologyofhome.com. Noelle is a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center as well, and she's the author of Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. And she's also a co-author of the Theology at Home, of Home series. So on June 18th, print edition, when I was proofing that print edition, I stumbled across Noelle's column, The Strong Man is a Holy Man. And it was all about Father's Day. And it really struck me to the core. So Noelle, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me on. And I want to say, first of all, I know this Father's Day is going to be a bittersweet one for you, and I'm I'm sorry for your dad's passing in the last year, and I'm really grateful that you shared that um, experience with uh, our audience, and not only here, but in the column that you wrote.
3: Yeah, no, thank you. Um, it, 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 I had a lot of time to reflect on fatherhood. I, it's always been a subject that I love, but particularly with my dad's passing, it's just been something I've been ruminating over and just feeling so grateful for had the experience of having been fathered well and how important that is.
1: Yes, and and I, first I want you to tell a little about your dad because he was this he was the beginning of this column that really touched me so much. And so, uh, tell us who your dad was. Sure.
3: So he uh, he he passed away in his eighties. He had a nice long life. He was an attorney, but he was really a philosopher and he was a real intellectual, very intellectually curious, but also curious about other people and very engaging. And I think I just grew up really admiring him. I felt a sort of reverence about who he was and felt so grateful to be his daughter. And I also had a deep sense that he absolutely delighted in me. And it strikes me that, you know, that combination of sort of someone you revere, loving you personally, is really such a powerful reflection of what the, how compelling fatherhood in general is. You know, that there's a certain reverence that you know that there are boundaries in life, that there are, is a law that we should, you know, that is, we are, should be subjected to. Um, but we also know that that law is for the sake of our freedom, that we are loved and it's for our good mm-hmm. that there are those kind of, um, disciplines in life. Um, and I think I really got that sense from him that I need to, you know, aspire to something greater, um, but that I had a confidence in doing so because I had a father who believed in me. And, and that really gave me a, a great leg up in life, I feel like. And, um, it strikes me that, you know, in society now, we denigrate fatherhood so often, but, you know, there's almost no greater... There's, it's, we're one of the best privileges you can have. We're all the talk of privilege. Having a good father is, you know, right up there with the best of them.
1: And that's really what struck me. It's You wrote, it is a true privilege in life. Um, if there is a true privilege in life, it might just be having a good dad. and that And you describe how it made you secure and brave, um, you know, ready to take risks in life, ready to be who, who you are. And I think that is so true, um, that our dads, uh, really can provide that, um, by a, f- a few things. One is their, their, their presence, right? I mean, just being there and being present, um, uh, in, in such a loving way is so important. You, you write about not only your dad's presence and your dad's love, but the spiritual fathers who have walked with you too, even in your dad's time of, of sickness and, and his passing.
3: Yeah, it was really incredible. I mean, just in the you know, the months leading up to his passing that I you know, I have dear priest friends who, you know, drop out of the drop of a hat would drive long distances to come, you know, give him spiritual guidance, bring the sacraments, bless him, you know, find an uh, anointing the sick and um and it, it was, you know, these are abilities that have come with spiritual fatherhood that we can't drum up in ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, just the specialness of the spiritual fatherhood. And then even just seeing, you know, my husband, my brother-in-law, my son, my nephews, you know, we, my mom and sister and I could no longer physically lift him at some point, and so we needed these men, we needed these fathers and these future fathers, and, um, you know, it, it was just striking to me how it absolutely essential um, that true masculinity is, that that's generous that is outward focused, that's servant oriented, but it's also strong. Um, And and that was so present to me in those days.
1: It's so fun for me to have um, both you and uh, Carrie on this show um, because of your writing together, Um, you know, not only theologyofhome.com, but your books. Um, So much of it talks about Really, the complementarity of the sexes, of what it means to be female, what it means to be male, and to live that to the full fullness um, so you're writing in this piece um, about the fatherhood and and uh, we we just spoke about femininity um, and the dangers of toxic really toxic femininity, femininity. and um, and so now. It's so good to talk about the complementary aspects of it. Um, you write about how that is not understood anymore, and you write about it through the experience of um, your uh, husband, um, basically being ready to give his daughter away um, to uh, to her future spouse. So, um, describe that experience um, and and just what you saw in your own husband as he made this another another step of fatherhood. Yeah,
3: no, it was really lovely, actually. Her her now fiancé called him to ask for his fatherly blessing. And my husband, you know, he had to pause because he had to compose himself. And then, you know, he told him how delighted he was to welcome him to the family and gave his blessing. And then, and then he said, and I said, what did you say after that? And he said, I said, <laughs> the only thing I could think of, which was, I just asked him if he could tell me about his prayer life.
1: That's amazing. And that was
3: so striking to me. You know, that was the most, the foremost question on his mind. Um, my husband is a man who prays deeply and and um, devout, devote, uh, devotedly, devotedly. I and he knows how much that is the the absolute crucial aspect to his being a husband, and being a father, and being a child of God. Um, and just to have that um, that shared connection with this this man who is going to be our our son-in-law and a future father, God willing, um, that they both turn towards their their mutual father, our, to, to God Himself, and. You know, I think there's a beauty, a deeply, deeply beautiful masculine fatherly trait that's expressed in that. And one of the things that I was really struck by is that, you know, as the culture kind of tries to make, uh, denigrate the idea that there's any such thing that's uniquely beautiful masculinity at all, we really come up with only caricatures of masculinity. So, right. you know, we think of manliness as being like a, you know, football player or, you know, machismo or, um, I don't know, you know, or we or we mock it as being, you know, something that is, um, you know, a, a weakness or a bravado, when true masculinity is deep and beautiful. And I think that as we move away from that, we see cartoons of womanhood and cartoons of masculinity, and both are ridiculous performances of something that is important and essential and 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 very meaningful.
1: And you talk about the protector, the need, uh, not only, you know, their strength, you mentioned that, um, in this conversation, but they are protectors. And that is innate in them, um, to, to be protectors. Um, you speak of an image in your column of the good shepherd of, of Christ, the good shepherd, and how sometimes that image, when we see it depicted is, you know, of a, of a, of Christ carrying a sheep, it's tender, it's um, kind of a soft image, you know. Um, but that n- is not at all what uh, a shepherd really uh, would have would have looked like carrying a sheep on his shoulders that had gone lost, right? That's
3: right. I mean, I think we have, con- it conjures up a saccharine image in our mind, but, uh, you know, his listeners, our Lord's listeners at the time, would have understood the role of the shepherd is a grisly life, that he had to ward off beasts, sometimes with only his staff, and that he would lay his body and potentially his life down at the opening of the sheepfold every night in order to protect the, sh- the flock. Um, and, you know, I, I think we've gotten away from this because the shepherd has been targeted, both figuratively and literally as we see, masking the with smashing the patriarchy. And I think cultural revolutionaries target the shepherd because they want access to the sheep. Mm-hmm. And we only will understand the combination of authority and innocence if we retain both. And so, insofar as we lose the understanding that there are real threats to the innocent in this world, we lose the conception and real mission of the Father and of the as a protector. And it's so crucial that we have retain the clarity about both.
1: Yes, you write, and I loved this line, and I, I read your column um, to my husband, um, <laughs> and he loved it as well, and, and um, I, I love this line real men you're writing, they know that sh- the strong man is the holy man and that a good father has nothing to do with seeking power and everything to do with perseverance in prayer. I thought of, you know, seeking power or seeking money or seeking, you know, the biggest house and, and all of these provisions that, you know, men are expected in a way to provide for us. Um, but, but really, uh, perseverance in prayer and the type of protection they can provide to the heart of the home, to, to the women and to their children Um, in, in, in just protecting our ability to be holy and to be who we are is so crucial, so important. Um, Your, your column offered a a point of reflection for my husband and me. Are we, are we seeking that? Is that the kind of family we want to have? I would love to get your thoughts as we are about to close on on what we can do to protect fatherhood, to to lift it up, to to foist it up, hoist it up, so that we can all um, ad, uh, help others to live it.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think with most things, the best thing to do is, is modeling it, right? So then um, modeling it and mentoring other men. You know, I think we, we really need to have men have strong um, influences and mentorship in their lives so that they can see, I have this mission and I want to live out this mission. And look, here it is embodied before me by an older father or what have you. Um, and, and I think as women too, that that we we are you know singing the praises of good fathers, you know that we are openly and clearly exalting that and in society, remem- reminding people of its importance and its indispensability. Um, I think that can be a powerful witness too.
1: Absolutely, and I just want to thank you for the work that you are doing, um, both your books, your writing at the Register and other places, and the theology of, of home dot com. I it's. It is inspiring. Um, I know many, many women who <laughs> um, take inspiration from that and, um, and then are, are able to go and to lift their husbands up um, and, and encourage them in where they are. So I just appreciate it a lot, Noelle.
3: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, no, I, it's been a wonderful journey for Carrie and me, and we've loved the community. We've built around it and um, seeing so many families flourish, You know, just reflecting that back into the world of the culture. I think those positive messages go a long way despite the negative messages that have been pushed on us for so long. So absolutely. thank you. Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So Noel's article is, The Strong Man is the Holy Man, and it can be found at ncregister.com. There's a lot more news, analysis, and commentary at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Jeff Burson, my producer, and myself, Jeanette DeMello, I pray that until next week... God bless you, and Happy Father's Day to all of you.